2: Welcome to MindShifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is a Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. And we haven't been here for a couple of days because MindShifters Radio has been off the air due to blog talk radio difficulties. It's good to be back. And as always, we're grateful to everyone who chooses to join us as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. They're available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at WHYAGAIN.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to raise comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing just that. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. And press 1 on your phone. Or if you're listening to us through the archives, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we get that kind of a message from you. We will address the comments or questions or answers or testimonials on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a message about what day and time it was addressed, and you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. The archives being just another wonderful resource that Michael and Jeannie make available as a tool for people to help them understand how to benefit from these tools. In the archives, there are a number of shows where people have actually been stepped through the worksheet process. And those can serve as a, t- a tutorial. And there are also shows that just talk about the how and the why. How, how is it possible that this work is as effective as it is and remains as simple as it is? So, that's what we're here to do and support people in doing it is um, nice to be back on the air after a hiatus, uh, non-self-imposed hiatus. So what are your comments and questions? What, How could it best serve you to spend our time today? We had a support group last night, and we had two different people do worksheets in the support group. Um, and... My assessment of them would be that both of them were powerful and productive. Um, I have been doing more than the average worksheets recently because I'm looking at a mini family reunion coming up the next three days, tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. And um, as most of us understand the people that we were raised around our parents, our siblings, best friends from high school, etc, <clears throat> or even younger grades they have access to the parts of our mind the memories, the shared experiences. The interpretations that we place on our interactions with them are far more likely to contain material that resonates negativity, upset, trauma, into awareness in our lives. And so every time I get together with my family, I could choose to use that and look at it as an opportunity to heal whatever comes up. I could also choose to interpret it as a royal pain in the patoot, And it's not something I want to do very often because it isn't likely that I'll be able to engage in interaction with my family without also choosing interpretations for those interactions that have the same resonant frequency as traumas, as upset, as negative beliefs about self, as shame-based thoughts and beliefs. It's just the nature of our lives. I remember reading a book by Stuart Wilde in which he said, as as a, a spiritual teacher, as an aspirant and a teacher, he said, I get so tired of people trying to tell me that their guru is enlightened. He said, what I've taken to saying to people is, if you think your guru is enlightened, let's go spend a week living with his family of origin and at the end of that week we'll, we'll, we'll talk about who's enlightened. It's the same dynamic I was just talking about. Understanding at deeper and deeper levels that every time I have an upsetting thought, every time I'm experiencing a negative emotion, I'm the one who created it. I'm the author of my emotions. You know, years ago, when I first started listening to Dr. Michael Rice, he, he said this, and I don't know, the, the way perception works, I don't know. Maybe he never said it this way, and I just interpreted it this way because it made more sense. But he would talk about how we have this test in this work to determine Whether or not, and here's how I heard it, whether or not I am creating the emotion I am feeling or whether or not it's being created by someone or something outside of me. Now, in later talks, and for a couple of decades now hanging around him, whenever he says this, he says, we have this test for deciding if it's yours or not. But to me, it makes more sense the way I heard him say it the first time. We have a test to help you figure out whether or not you are creating the emotion you're experiencing or whether it's being created by the people and things outside of you. And that test is, if you're feeling it, you created it. Now, you may not be aware of the process through which you're creating your emotions, but that's the value in some teachings like this, the Internet shows and the worksheet. And you may not have access in your daily life with the people that you were raised with and the culture that you were raised in to the tools that can help you actively change the process you're using to create your emotional state. And yet, that's why we have these worksheets and this support group and these Internet shows to try and give you access to the very tools that can put you back in conscious control of the emotional states you're creating. So I have done a whole series of worksheets recently on this Uh, imminent family gathering and um, again I just want to talk about my gratitude for uh, the app I've done most of these on the app I did one last night in the support group on the the regular long version of the seven step uh, you know printed paper reality management worksheet, and yet most of the ones that I've done in this past week, week, and a half have been on the app um, so I will share some of those if if nobody has a comment or a question or um, but i i do I do want to state that Thursday and Friday of this week will be repeat shows, you know, I'm I'm not even sure they're going to be best of, they'll just be replays of previous shows, and um, all next week um, I'm planning to have recorded shows, it all depends on how the the physical energy system is feeling after the uh, surgical procedure on Tuesday. So um, it was a little, uh, it was a unique timing to have Blog Talk Radio be down for two days right before this mini family reunion happening and then the uh, surgical procedure on my knee. So shorter than I had hoped for this week, this will be it. So this is this will be your this next uh, forty-five minutes is your last chance to get in a comment or a question for a while live anyway during the first hour of um, the show. So the, the the setup for the worksheets that I was doing is that. And, and if you've followed this um, internet show or support groups, you've heard me say that I had, I was very blessed in the family that I was raised in and the parents that I had. And sometimes when I say that, people get some kind of a fantasy, um, an idealized image in their head about perfection, and you know that. In some ways, it was pretty close to perfection, but it was also just people. Um, And my parents had four children in five years. So we're all just about a year and a half apart. And here we are, the youngest of us is, you know, in her mid-60s and so we're all fully adults and we're going to be getting together for a three day gathering two-and-a-half day gathering at a neutral location halfway between um, the primary residences of most of the people it isn't easy people have different styles of communicating people have different styles of organizing People have different styles of saying, I account for every penny I spend down to the decimal point. And other people say, oh, I don't care how much it costs. Uh, I, if it's within my budget or if I don't have a budget. Or, and and uh, you can go ahead and pay for that if you want to and I don't need a receipt. Or, or I'll pay for it and I don't need you to pay your portion. It goes back and forth, back and forth, all kinds of different There's only nine people in this group, and yet there are many varied ways of dealing with food prep and accounting for money and planning and communicating about planning. That's not very unusual. We have a very good family and it happens, the communication happens a little, probably I'd say at average or a little bit below average, just because of different styles and Some people are still working and some people are already retired and all that good stuff. In the middle of that, when I hear my brother say something or someone reports to me that he has said something that I interpret as negative about either one of my sisters, I then start pouring mind energy into that interpretation and generate a significant amount of negative emotion. So back along the line, I know it started before this, but back on August 12th, I put those thoughts on a worksheet because I was generating the emotion of irritation. And the worksheet was, I, Tim, who am love, am feeling irritation. And the worksheet reminds me that I want to use a separate worksheet for each emotion. Well, right at that moment, I wasn't feeling a complex of emotions. I was just feeling the irritation. It says hostility and fear come from internal corrupt data and they indicate my mind's use of this process that David Bohm calls sustained incoherence, continuing to do something that doesn't make any sense. That's the the simple definition for sustained incoherence. And with that process, my mind is building this internal disturbing construct and then, the fact that I'm blaming this upset on somebody outside of me, that denial causes my carbon-based memory, to have me forget that my true nature is love, and tell me the lie that my emotions are caused by someone outside of me, in this case, my brother. And the short version of what I'm using to generate upset in this worksheet is, my brother holds negative judgments against my sisters. So the worksheet has me breathe and soften. And I do that and remind myself that if I'm the one with the the problem, why are if they're the one with the problem and he's causing my problem, how come I'm the one with the pain? And I breathe and soften and I specify my thoughts that I'm using to create that irritation. And my thought is he should be more mature and accepting. And I breathe and soften. And I specify the punishment thought. In this case, I had a punishment thought for my brother of just not talking to him, shunning him, shutting him out. And I wasn't aware of a punishment thought for myself. So I breathed into that, wrote that on the worksheet, or in this case, the app. And then the app has me do the release that says I release and surrender myself. My brother as the target of this worksheet, my negative thoughts and judgments that he is not being accepting of my sisters and that he's being negative and that he should be more mature I surrender my punishment thought all to love and then I cancel my need to be right and my need to make up another story out of these brain cells to hallucinate the proof that my fear and hostility-based story that my reality is true so I breathe into that and I soften And step two in the app says, I choose to honor truth and to willingly face and process out all the dis-ease-producing energies for and from all of my relations and the generations. And I willingly go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. And then that app has me specify my goal. My goal was for my brother to be more mature and more accepting, specifically of my sisters. And then I did a little meditation with step four to bring up the most loving thought and memory. And in this one I used thoughts about my sons and some of the wonderful things they've done over the years. And I stayed with it until I felt a shift in my energy field and my heart center and then I moved on to step five, and step five in the, in the app says, when I'm upset, my perception is built out of corrupt data. And the thing that drives my mind to use that particular data is my goal for my brother to be more mature and accepting. And I want to be aware, this is a very limiting and limited picture constructed from a maximum of nine bits of data during the period of time that 10,000 brain cells are firing. So by canceling my goal... My replicate mind's reality collapses and gives me direct contact with whatever's been denied and dissociated in my memory. Because that part of my memory, when it's been denied and dissociated, it projects its content onto others and blames them for its content. So while holding love conscious, active, and present, I choose to collapse my mind's lives by willingly canceling my goal, which is the driver for my emotions for my brother to be more mature and more accepting. And then I go into the meditation where I invite Rukha, that elemental force specific to humans that's available to each one of us. It's implanted in us by the Creator. It's there to break off the effects of our errors in thought and guide us to truth and happiness if we just ask it to. So I'm asking that force to help me And restore me to the awareness of my newborn essence as love, to incline me toward healing, to help me open a direct conscious relationship with and gently remove the denied, dissociated and projected parts of my mind, my carbon-based memory. And then I did the forgiveness pattern, where I just gently repeat over and over again. I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. I specifically cancel my goal in that worksheet. And I open myself to any associated memories from an earlier time in my life. And I just breathed and softened. And in this particular worksheet, I started with an upset level of six, And it was not long at all. I had had done one or two before this where I'd gone unconscious. And this third or fourth worksheet in that series, I flashed on a memory of being probably 11 years old. And we were in the basement of a friend's house. My brother was a year and a half older than me. All of his friends in that house were a year and a half to two years older than him. They got tired of playing whatever game they were playing, and they thought, this will be fun to set up the Hayes boys to fight and wrestle within themselves. At that point in time, I was as bigger bigger than my brother and stronger than he was, so he couldn't beat me in wrestling. And they were teasing him that his little brother was getting the best of him. And he couldn't defeat me with strength. So they started coaching him to use dirty tactics like digging an elbow in my armpit and punching me or hitting me in the testicles, etc. And this switch flipped in my brain and I saw red and all I wanted to do was kill my brother. It was a rather bizarre thing when I look at it now. I wasn't angry at the other people or, or I wasn't anywhere near as angry at the other people who were coaching him to fight dirty against me. But there was this deep sense of betrayal and upset. So I had quite a bit of tears come up when I remembered this this time. And this is not a new memory. I've done quite a bit of work on this over the years with trauma reduction techniques and journaling and EFT tapping and NET, et cetera. So I breathed into it and thought, okay, here's another deeper level of this the the gunk, right, that I downloaded throughout this. And so I tapped a round of EFT tapping and I set for myself the goal of doing a round of EFT tapping again later in the day and to do another worksheet specifically on that memory of that time that I wanted to literally kill my brother when I was 11 years old. So then I finished the worksheet with the commitment to living a human life, and I did a mass canceling of all the times I've wanted anybody to be more mature and more accepting. And I put several people in. Their their initials came to mind, and I put them in that as I'm canceling that and opened it up to cancel it for anybody else that I might have held that for and breathed and softened and rated the upset level uh, of sadness. I was still quite sad and feeling it at, it shifted from irritation to sadness and it was at a level 6 out of 10. So I knew in that process I had just tapped into another series of worksheets I was going to need to do. And I did three or four others very similar and one of them when I started my upset level was an 8 out of 10 and this time instead of starting with irritation or anger I was starting with the emotion of sadness and I went specifically back to that upset with my brother and here my, my description of what happened was that my brother chose his friends over me. And the thought I was using to generate my sadness was I was not worth his affection and protection. And the punishment thoughts were sadness or shunning for him and sadness for myself to stay stuck in the sadness was my punishment thought for me. I went through the worksheet as usual, just as I just described in the last worksheet. And the goal I selected in this worksheet was for my brother to show affection for me by choosing to accept me as I am and treat me lovingly, gently, and with respect. Now, the irony wasn't lost on me. That as I was writing that goal, I was violating that goal for him because I wasn't accepting him just as he is. And when I'm holding negative thoughts about the judgments he's making against my sisters, I'm not treating him lovingly, gently, and with respect in my mind. So I saw that. I was ready for some of that to come up in the release. But instead what happened was... I did the canceling of the goal. I canceled my goal for him to show his affection for me by choosing to accept me as I am and treating me lovingly, gently, and with respect. And I did the forgiveness pattern. And what I ended up with was I flashed on this deep awareness, new deep awareness that when that happened and I felt so angry and uh, inconsolably angry, ragingly angry, murderously angry, during that period, I downloaded the belief that I was evil at my core because I'd been raised as a little Catholic boy and we're supposed to be loving and extend love in all situations, etc. Offer up your suffering for the... Poor Souls in Purgatory. And I had a series of memories flash into my mind about how as the years progressed from that, from that moment of trauma where there were five or six boys that were you know, three and four years older than me holding me down. And if any one of them would let up, I would get loose and go after my brother again. So that it was just, there was like a half an hour of raging. And as a result of that, I downloaded this belief that I was evil at my core and that my anger was not safe at any level. So as I breathed and softened and did the forgiveness pattern, canceled my need to be right and offered my self comfort as all of these memories came up, and I trusted in the safety of watching them, I let myself remember how, after this event, I let at least three people that I can remember by face and name who were smaller than me beat me up without defending myself because I was afraid that if I tried to defend myself, this rage would come out and I would literally end someone's life. And I couldn't tolerate the thought of that. So I was aware of this deep shame piece for the first time at a new level. And so at the end of it, I was feeling calmer, but still quite sad and shameful. And my emotional upset level at the end of it was a five out of ten. I've had some other worksheets, um, but then last night in the support group, there was uh, an opportunity to do another one. And several of the ones that I've done on this, coming up again, This is I'm going to be going to the family reunion just this next few days. Several of them have led to some intense tears, and somewhere on my desk, which I thought was right here to pull out and read, is the one that I did last night, which led to significant tears wouldn't it be nice if I could pull that up? I have several other peoples, but the point is i'm I'm seeing. that there was this deep download. So the one last night was sadness, and I went back to the idea. I've done several other worksheets on the trauma of the upset when I was 11, we'll say, with my brother. And last night this worksheet was on sadness because of the thought that my brother is judging my sisters negatively. And the thought I was using to generate that sadness is my brother is being insensitive and judgmental. And again, I chose the punishment thought of shunning, and the punishment thought for myself was, again, just this staying stuck in the sadness. My goal was for my brother to feel compassion and acceptance. And again, it it hit me that in that same moment, I'm not having compassion and acceptance against him if I'm creating irritation at him for having a negative thought about my sisters. So I went into the release canceling my goal for my brother to feel compassion and acceptance and the flooding of images resulted in me writing these notes on the back of the worksheet. I was aware of a deep, deeper, even deeper level of being betrayed and wounded, and that's why I was raging. This is kind of an awareness that I've moved past the logical part of things into the, oh, I was using rage at my brother to cover up how badly I felt that I wanted acceptance from him, that I had this idealized notion of him as my big brother, and of course he'd contributed to that the loving family i came from contributed to that most of the time when we were interacting he would live into that role of being a really good brother big brother and a protector and we played a lot together and but he he violated that idealized notion that i had of him and when i downloaded all of that it it crystallized into this i'm damaged i'm broken anybody who could be taught so lovingly from such a lovely family anybody at any age this was my thinking at age 11 anybody at any age that could come from such a loving home and have such a deep religious tradition could turn to rage like that, they must be purely evil. They must be so damaged and broken. And what happened through my tears and breathing and a little bit of the shortcut of EFT tapping last night in the group was I came to realize I have never moved to feel compassion toward that younger wounded part of me. I have never let myself feel acceptance and compassion for that younger wounded part of me. And that's what's getting reflected in my lack of acceptance and my irritation toward my brother today when he does something that doesn't match with my idealized view of what a big brother should do. So I ended the worksheet last night and the upset level was down from an 8 to a 3. And I did a couple rounds of the EFT tapping last night, which I had made the commitment to do. And another worksheet and, and... just starting to shift at a little bit deeper levels that the need for me to understand and have compassion for myself at 11 and um, I'll keep working on that that's my commitment to me, to my brother, to the show so Here's hoping once again that those all make sense since I never really know when I'm presenting those things. And area code 520, you're in the air. Who do we have? This is Audrey. Welcome.
3: And I'd like to set up my understanding of it very briefly. And please tweak or add or delete and we could work together. As far as forgiveness, I thought all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. And I thought what gets forgiven is a thought in which I judged by. Now, I'm going to a church where they say, forgive everything. And I understand we live well, some of us, <laughs> in a 3D um, dimension where we have right, wrong, up, down. There is duality, but the ideal is neutrality. Now getting to forgiveness. If I forgive everything, why am I forgiving? Everything, when the only thing there is is love, and when I forgive distorted perceptions in which I judged by. Now, Doctor Kim, please explain why the words "forgive everything," and thank you, and I will take your explanation. Please mute me, and I will listen to you. Thank you this morning.
2: All right. Thanks for the question. I want to preface this by saying that I don't know what the people at your church mean when they say forgive everything, because I don't know what they mean by those words. And everything that we're doing in this work, in our culture, with our language, is predicated upon some false impression that we actually know what the other people that we're talking to, what they mean when they say certain words. So the forgiveness process that we're talking about here is not the same as pardoning somebody. What I've come to saying these last, I don't know, 15 years or so with Dr. Michael Dr. Michael Rice's work is, pardon people soon and often. Because when I pardon people, it means I'm no longer pouring my mind energy into negative thoughts, creating negative emotions that are disintegrative energy in my system. So I'll pardon people soon and often. Never forgive anybody for anything in the ancient Aramaic way of thinking about it because forgiveness in that process means to cancel and dismantle. So we don't want to cancel and dismantle people. That's that's what I was feeling when I was in the rage when I was 11 years old. I wanted to cancel and dismantle my brother. That's not loving. That's not productive. That's not living in the awareness of our true nature as love, etc. So this work has me understanding that I'm the creator of my experience internally. And if I'm experiencing something like a negative emotion, a tightness, a tension, a physical discomfort, I'm creating the energy dynamics within myself that are giving rise to those sensations. So what's recommended in this work is we engage the process that in English we call forgiveness. In Aramaic, the word was shebag. And it's a process of removing my mind energy from anything that generates energies that are disintegrative that don't belong in my system. So I'm canceling my goals I'm opening a space in that process for myself to be shown, the hidden part of my own mind that holds this disintegrated material. Sometimes it is a false conclusion. Sometimes it is a traumatic memory and energies around that memory. And if I hold that in my system, it's there to get resonated whenever it gets resonated by the interpretations that I throw on life events, it gets resonated and it gets activated and it distorts my perception. Sometimes just a little bit, sometimes dramatically. Every time I have hostility or fear active in my mind, the quality of my perception is at least degraded, if not completely disrupted. In the worksheet that I just read, it says, hostility and fear are the result of internal corrupt data, and they indicate my mind's use of what David Bohm would call sustained incoherence. The definition Michael has at the bottom of the worksheet for that phrase, sustain incoherence, is denial of responsibility for distasteful results while keeping up with the thinking that creates those results. To sustain something is to keep doing it. To have something be incoherent is to say it doesn't make sense. So I keep doing things that don't make any sense, As I say, I want to end my pain or my fear or my sadness. And the result is, I keep creating my pain, fear, and sadness. So this work with the ancient Aramaic has me cancel any goal I'm holding holding on to that goal results in me experiencing pain, fear, or sadness. Hostility or fear is the the two words Michael uses to refer to that state. And the issue is that when I have either hostility or fear active in my mind, whatever is showing up in my mind, however much I want to believe it, is not an accurate picture of life and what's going on. It never is and it never will be. This is why trial attorneys, if you, if you interview a trial attorney and you ask her, what state of mind do you want the witness for the opposing side to be in when you're cross-examining him or her? And that trial attorney will tell you, I want them in hostility or fear. I want them confused or angry or hurt or sad. And you can ask that trial attorney why, and she'll tell you, because that's when I know they will make mistakes. I tell people, you can pretend if you want to that that's a special case that only happens for human beings when they're on the witness stand being cross-examined by the opposition. If you want to, you can pretend that that doesn't really apply to you. I think it's silly. I think this is how trial attorneys make their living. I think they have accurately assessed this. They're observing it very, very closely. If it ever changed and the odds were they would, that their witness for the opposing side would make more mistakes when they were happy or calm, they would start trying to induce the happy, calm state in those witnesses to get the results that they want. So armed with this information that people whose livelihoods depend on studying human behavior and understanding how it works, that they know that people in anger and fear make far more mistakes than people who are feeling calm and safe and secure. Armed with that, you might want to follow the advice of uh, this reality management worksheet that says, anytime I'm in pain, my thinking is in error. And turn the focus of my thoughts in on myself and figure out, how am I creating this pain with my thoughts in this moment? If I keep functioning from any mindset that has me experiencing pain, I'm dramatically increasing the probability that I will not like the results I get. Now, the worksheets that I just presented to my eye and ear, they're good examples of that. Here I am about to go off to a family reunion, a three- and two two-and-a-half-day family reunion with people that have been part of a very loving, very productive family for a lot of years, and I'm generating negative emotional states before we ever go from my interpretation of something that somebody said somebody else said. So I know it's not about the other people. I know I'm carrying this upset within me, and I know that if I don't do something to dismantle that upset, those energies, those conclusions, it's just going to be there to get generated, resonated strongly again the next time I choose an interpretation that has a similar frequency to it. Here's an example from somebody else. I'm dealing with somebody who is about 50 years old, and he has a past that he has a lot of shame about, and he hasn't completely resolved all of that shame. He has really turned his life around. He is a productive member of society. He's a very um, respectful member of his family, and yet he has a lot of shame about the things he did in his past where he wasn't yet uh, living on what you might call the straight and narrow or whatever. So he goes to a, a ceremony for a wedding for his daughter, and as he's approaching it, we talked last week about it, that he's carrying all of this shame for the way everybody in there All these other people on the other side of the family must think about him for his bad behavior years ago. You know, it's been years, a lot of years that he's been a productive member of society, but they all know the the horror stories of how it wasn't so good. And he's generating all of that shame. So we talked about it and how he might, you know, use some worksheets and tapping and just get a more balanced perspective But then he goes to the wedding and he comes back and he's got a couple of stories. And in both stories, it's very disrespectful. The the actions of the people in his family and the extended family toward him are very disrespectful. And yet, as he's talking about it, he reaches for his phone and he wants to read me the invitation because one of the things that happened was he was there on time he was there early for the wedding and he was uh, there with people and then they had this block of time where you can be on your own and then he um, he showed up what he thinks is five minutes early for the dinner time the the celebratory dinner Um, it's a very informal wedding so it's at a restaurant and he shows up and he thinks he's five minutes early and everybody is already seated and eating hors d'oeuvres so that's got him feeling put out and irritated you know and then when he gets there there's no chair for him so his son comes over and says oh dad great to see you here i'll get something and what they um They end up doing is finding a stool which is a different height than everybody else who's seated eating at this wedding dinner. Now this is the father of the bride, right? So he's really put out. But he talks about how, but they did hold conversation with him and include him, and you know they did have good laughs and. And then the next morning, there was a, an invitation to join them for coffee before heading out to return home. This was a, a you know, a, a destination wedding, so that it wasn't by anybody's house. Everybody had to travel to it. So he shows up, and he's just, you know, he's kind of boggled. He got up early, seven or whatever, and and, and he's waiting because. The invitation says, meet us for coffee at 10.30. And as he's telling me the story how when he got to coffee, he got there about 10.20, thought he's 10.20 minutes early. Everybody's already gone. And so he starts talking to the few people that are left. And they said, oh, yeah, some people got here at 8 o'clock, and then they hung around for a couple hours, and they just already left. And so, again, he was feeling very put out. Somehow they coordinated this that everybody else knew to be there early except him. But he was sticking to the invitation. Now, please remember that his mindset going into this was the mindset of shame. He's going into a family gathering where he thinks the whole other side of the family looks at him with disgust and disdain because he's had a a, a rough patch in his life in the early lives of his children, etc. So then he picks up his phone in the session to read to me the invitation so that I can see how absurd this is. And he reads it and says, so meet us for the wedding on the beach and then meet us at this dinner place at 5 o'clock. And he reads right by it and misses the fact that it says 5 o'clock, not 5.30. Every other time he read it, and even this time when he's saying 5 o'clock, he's hearing in his mind 5.30. So he shows up 25 minutes late, thinking he's five minutes early, and then generates all of this upset that everybody got there ahead of him. The second time he read it, he caught it. And the shock on his face, I wish we'd had the session videotaped, the shock on his face that he's looking at his phone reading the thing that he thinks is going to prove to me how wrong all these people were. And he reads it again, and it says 5 o'clock. And he said out loud, oh, my God, I was a half an hour late. No, this is the father of the bride. Now, he's half an hour late. Nobody ridicules him. Nobody treated him negatively, but he had the filter on, and that's what he experienced. Then he kept reading on the invitation, and the invitation said, if you're not sick of us after spending all day with us on Saturday, we'd love to meet you for coffee Sunday morning at such and such a place. He read it three times, and there's no time on it. He had read it previously somewhere he put in the time 10.30. His mind said, gee, that's weird, that's so late, but it's their wedding, I'll do whatever they want. Again, the filter in his mind of shame set it up so that his perceptions drove him to be late for two major portions of his daughter's wedding and the day after. If we carry the shame, the pain, the fear, the negative thoughts about self, if we carry them around in us, whenever they get resonated into activity by the interpretations we choose and place on our life events, they will distort our perceptions. And we will get to live with the negative effects of that this perception, whether we understand our perception is distorted or not. So, as I presented already in this hour of Mind Shifters Radio, I still have more work to do because the last two worksheets I did I saw deeper levels of how I'm carrying shame against myself as 11 years old for holding rage, murderous rage toward my brother. And if I can't dismantle that, it will continue to color my perception, distort my perception every time the interpretation I place on life events carries a similar resonant frequency and resonates it into activity. The distortion is inevitable. The choice is mine now that I'm aware of it. The worksheets are available at yagain.org. Go to that website, click on the start here button, click on the on the on the front page on the link that says worksheets. Download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again. Absolutely free. As I mentioned, I will not be in the show again tomorrow or friday tomorrow night support group some core people will be trying to hold that if you're interested all the information for logins available on mindshiftersacademy.org website i thank you all for being here and i look forward to uh, returning in a little over a week I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jimmy Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tim. And we'll hold the space during your reunion and also next week, procedure, and and, uh, send love. And thank you for sharing those worksheets. That was powerful.
2: You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful week.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, August the 16th, 2023. And their calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we are so glad to be back live again. Uh, <laughs> It was, I'm sure Dr. Tim told you that uh, Blog Talk had issues Monday and Tuesday. We tried to dial in. We couldn't even, I mean, if we dialed either the host line or the uh, regular call-in line, it didn't even ring through, and we notified Blog Talk, and they said that, yeah, they were aware that there were issues with that as well as the Direct Connect. And So they were having some major technical problems, and, you know, it's it is, a little inconvenient however you figure that we have been doing this since 2011 and maybe five times in all those years have we not been able to do a show so we really um, are grateful to blog talk and try to just be patient with them when they're running into issues too we've had technical issues before that there was nothing that we could do And like on their website or the app or whatever, it's like we were just kind of stuck trying to figure it out, trying to work out the problem. And so uh, we can totally understand sometimes things go wrong. And we are glad, though, that they got it back up today. We're glad to be live with you. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions. I was looking to see if I would received anything by email. And the only thing was different people writing saying, I can't get on the show. And we were like, that's okay, we can't either so, um, But I didn't have any questions So if you have a question or if there's a direction that you would like to see the show go Then please press 1 and it raises a hand And we'd love to hear from you We welcome you in the chat room too Glad that you're back with us And so at this time I'm going to welcome Michael You're not coming through You're not coming through, Michael
0: you
4: mean you want me to undo my mute button, sweetie?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that would help.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that would help.
4: i uh-huh. welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Delighted that we're here. And our apologies for the last two days where blog talk was just down. Uh, we haven't gotten an explanation, but uh, they're back, so we're back. And rocking on. So delighted that you're here. Uh, I want to do a starting point today. From an experience that Gene and I had last weekend, and one of the things when we traveled, and we would do this, you know, at least once a week. Sometimes we'd do a double header. Was our our intermission time was movies, and on occasion, you know, even though we're settled here now in Bristol, Virginia, we'll go catch a movie. And there was a time way back when when. I would not go to a movie that had violence in it. It's like, I don't want to put that into my field, was the reasoning that made sense for me. And one day, and you could tell what year it is by going and looking at what year the movie The Island came out. I don't know, it's probably twenty more than 20 years ago. And I had the guidance. Knowing it was a violent movie to go to it, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And I, I got this argument going on inside my head with this guidance, go to that movie. No, I'm not going to go to that movie. Go to that movie. Okay, I'll go, I'll go. In the opening scene, or at least one of the early scenes in the movie, somebody climbs up on the back of a yacht in the Bahamas and, and has their leg graphically hacked off. To which in my mind I respond, what the hell am I doing here? Why why are you sitting here? And the response was very clear. And the response was, Michael, you have a belief in a world of bodies. And rather than play out that belief in the world in order to get to look at it, rather than creating from that, you know, everything that Dr. Tim was talking about was unconscious creation. You know, this gentleman that he was speaking about, had an unconscious dynamic which reflected in his perception and his creation replicated something from the past. You know, I think there's a book about that. I think it's called uh, something like, why are they doing this to me again? Or why is is this happening to me again? That's it. (laughs) Which, of course, you can download free from our website. So the guidance was, or the response to that, what the hell am I doing here? And that's what I said in my mind was you have a belief in the world of bodies and you can go out and create it in your life or you can sit here and breathe and do your work, do some forgiveness around that. So I experienced some very powerful benefit out of that and so since then I oftentimes will go to violent movies. And Jeannie and I, you know, in the evenings, we often watch a movie in our room before we go to sleep, and uh, and at the end of the movie, we'll often turn to each other and say, okay, so let's just ask Rooka that whatever was resonated by that garbage that went on in that movie, that anything that's moving in us, that it be lifted, that it be forgiven, that we be shown in dreams, in sleep, or in conscious awareness what it is we need to deal with. So there was a new film out, and something I read said that it was Somewhat based on a true story. After seeing it, I didn't, there, there certainly wasn't much of it based on a true story, but it's called the Last Voyage of the Demeter, and the Demeter was a ship back in the, I don't know what sixteen hundreds, whatever time period it was, that uh, factually existed apparently and was sailing from Romania to England, and. There were six boxes that were loaded on the ship anonymously, and nobody knew what was in them. Well, it turned out, of course, it's Dracula and the whole, you know, Dracula's taking people out on the ship, That the whole scenario. But the gift I got from this particular pretty violent movie and I'm not even sure why it came together, based on what, but it was just like a bingo for me, that one of the greatest atrocities done to us as human beings down through the ages is that we were told that love, the creator, created a hell to torture humans. Or some variation on the theme of those words. Some people say, well, you know, it wasn't his fault. Yeah, well, yeah, he created it, but he doesn't send anybody there. It's your own access. There's a whole story around that. It's the biggest lie that's ever been told. And that lie has given people permission for centuries to abuse themselves, to abuse others, literally to create hells. And if you want to witness that, just take me in front of the preacher who believes that that is literal scripture, and let me say that to him, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell me I'm going to go to hell. What he created. Because love is not capable of such a thing. In fact, in Aramaic, the original definition of hell was to be separated from the love of God, the presence of active love. And, and it's kind of an oxymoron there because God and love are the same word. When we are not holding in our physiology the gateway open, it was called Rachman in Aramaic, for love to be present within us, we are literally creating our own health. And, of course, the projection game, God did it. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the the story in the garden of eden of adam and you know there's all this uproar and, and he explains to god what the problem is and of course it's not adam if you remember The words he had, and this will be the same thing the preacher will tell you if you tell them that God did not create hell, that that's a lie and a fraud, and it's a trauma for everybody that ever hears it. You listen to Adam, and he says, God, that woman. The original blame thought. And then comes right on its tail the second blame thought that you gave me. So now Adam's innocent, and he's got God and the woman to blame. In our culture, by the age of four, virtually everyone is a card-carrying member in the one world religion, universal religion of blame. What's going on inside of me is somebody else's fault. Tim just did a beautiful job of explaining what happens when we live in that game. What happens to our perception, what happens to our creative process, and what happens in our relationships so and, and and then another insanity was placed upon us, and ultimately, we need to be responsible for accepting it, and that insanity. Because you can't have an accurate definition of love as God and that you're made in the image and likeness of love and therefore you are made of love. You can't have that and buy into the garbage that's being sold by so much of the world. These are all energetic patterns to be forgiven. And what happens once they knock out of us the awareness of ourselves as love. Once we fall into the pattern, you know, you look at the child and you look at how many times they come back with their arms open, come back with their arms open, come back smack in the face, back with their arms open, smack in the face, back with, you know, how many times do you have to pound hate into a child's mind to make them into someone who hates and, and their language is virtually all based in hate? How many times do you have to do that to a child? when the awareness of ourselves as love is knocked out of us, then our gods, that is, generally speaking, our parents, pushed us out of the world and said, go find somebody to love. Or, go find somebody to love you. After having delivered the message... In very early childhood for many, many, many people, you're broken. You're not lovable. Well, the second part of the message is you're not lovable. You are loved, that's all. Love isn't a verb. It's not something we do to each other. It's not something we collect from other people. It's not something we can deliver to other people, except when we realize ourselves as the active presence of love, and we choose to stand in that space. That space produces certain results out of the energetic pattern of the world. You'll hear us talking about, there's a chapter in the book on holding the space of love. The conditions in your physiology, in your environment in your genes and in your mind have to be actively set in order to energetically call love into the world. Into your physiology, into your perception, into your mind, into your emotions, into your relationships. The conditions have to be there to call it forward, to give it a space to express. If there is not a space for it to express, then the tendency will be for awareness of it, not the fact of it, but awareness of it to be blocked. That's one of the absolutely awesome and wonderful parts of this work, is it doesn't matter how terrorized and how traumatized you've been, Terror and trauma are of one level of experience. Because of the law of resonance, that terror and trauma world of experience cannot touch, cannot enter, cannot impact in any way, shape, or form the truth of your being. Remember, we live in an energetic world. I can say... You know, I I love my wonderful, you know, FM radio station where it plays all the oldies that I really love. And I'm going to go over here and turn on my AM radio. I'm going to tune into it. Well, you know, whatever your oldies are coming in on whatever the number is on the dial, the frequency is on the dial for the FM radio, whatever it is, doesn't matter you can't tune it on the AM radio. (laughs) You can't do it. they are two distinctly different bands of energetic experience, and one can't get into the other. Again, that's one of the most beautiful parts of this work, is no matter how much you have been traumatized, no matter how much you have traumatized others, no matter how degrading, painful, traumatic your life has been, The truth of you still exists, shiny and new and untouched by the non-human experience. Your mind is touched. Your genes are touched. Your perception is touched. But you can't be. The energy of that can't get into the created essence of love that you are any more than the FM signal can get into the AM radio. And so when you choose to clear out the drama, the trauma, whatever it's been, then having created the conditions physiologically that are attuned to or resonate to the true presence of love, and you, the true presence of love, get to show up in your physiology. A few years ago we had a gentleman in Heartland who had started doing this work some oh, I don't know, later, ten years earlier. He came and spent two years on the support team at Heartland. And he completed his tenure there. Actually stayed extra, stayed over, passed his tenure to complete a, a roofing job on one of the buildings. Thank you. And he shared this on the show several times. We've talked about it. But it, to me, it particularly fits right here. And the last time we talked about it on the show, he shared how when he was a kid, his father was an alcoholic, was in jail more than he was out of jail. would as soon... Pound on him as care for him and cherish him, train him in the, his father prided himself in being a gangster, and trained his son into being a gangster, drugs and alcohol, jail were all involved. And the day he completed his two years at Heartland. It was a two-day drive back to where he lived, so he had a hotel. And he called into the radio show from the hotel the next day. And he shared with us that for the first time in his life, and this is a man who at this point is in his probably early 50s. I mean, if anybody's been in hell to hear this man tell the story, He's lived hell for over half a century. And he called into the show. I I don't even know what date it is. Jeannie might, if you want to listen to the show. But he called into the show. And he said he got up that morning in this hotel room. And for the first time in his life, he wasn't filled with trepidation. He wasn't filled with terror. He wasn't filled with trauma. He was literally... Physically experiencing the active presence of love in every cell in his body that 's what this work is about it 's not about fixing your finances it's not about fixing your relationships it's not it 's about returning to the truth of who you are as conscious active present love, and through forgiveness making the space for you to show up in your own physiology. And when you show up, it's just as shiny and new as the day you were breathed out of love's nostrils, to use a metaphor. And on the way there, it's a journey. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes work. You know, when Yeshua told A group of his disciples, what the work was that they had to do, half of them whined, turned around, and left saying, and their words were too hard a saying. Like that's too difficult. In essence, what he said was, you're going to have to face the very capacity to generate from within you any form of hostility or fear and remove that capacity. You're going to have to forgive that capacity. And to that, literally half of his disciples left. And their words as recorded in those ancient scriptures was too hard a sing. It was such a dramatic event that what the scriptures record is at that point, as they left... <coughs> Yeshua turned to Peter and said, Pete, are you going to? Are you leaving? Are you going to quit now? And I watch people who come into contact with something that seems to be bigger and more than they could handle. Fortunately, there's an automatic and built-in suppress mechanism. So until you're ready to handle it, it can come forward. But in order to heal, it's going to come forward. It's got to come forward, And the practice is cultivating your relationship with conscious, active, present love so that you can solidly stand there no matter what happens. And then understanding how forgiveness works. You cancel the goal that's driving the perception that's based in pain. The perceptual construct of the mind when you cancel that goal collapses in on itself. And the pattern of trauma is removed, transmuted, maybe is a more correct, correct word. And you're free from it. And because none of it, no matter how terrible, disorienting, disgusting it was, none of it ever touched you, the true you. This is kind of like, you know, the clouds block out the sun. The Hostility and fear can block out the truth. But the clouds don't touch the sun. No matter how dark the sky is, no matter how it seems, like for days we haven't seen the sun, the sun must be gone. No. No matter how dark the clouds got, the sun wasn't touched. And when the clouds cleared away, the light returned So once again, in a nutshell, (coughs) we are here to do that work individually and collectively and to support literally every mind, heart, and being on the planet doing that piece of work. And we're absolutely delighted that you're here holding the space for it. And if you're out there in listener land and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, call-in number. is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show. And then if you push 1, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us.
1: And we have two hands up.
4: Awesome. Let's say hello.
1: The first one is Roma, and I'm glad you put your hand up, Roma. Several people have been texting us and asking us, and we said, yes, we had talked to you, and at the time we talked to you, you were okay. We're hoping that you still are okay. Roma's in Maui, for those who don't know. Welcome, Roma. Thank you. Can you hear Breaking me? with
4: you, Roma. You're loud and clear, young you know,
5: lady.
4: Glad to hear now, your voice.
5: I, I just want to let you know that... The entire island was in shock for days for me, the shock uh pinnacled on sunday and then um in the in monday on monday and tuesday it it started to dissipate so and i I feel normal <laughs> I feel normal this morning for the first time all week. oh my gosh
4: congratulations
5: yeah, it was uh oh gosh well. I mean, you know, it's beyond words. The grief. The grief is just beyond words. Oh. Yeah, we had a few fires up up near where I live. There were a couple of fires, too. Uh, But they didn't last very long. Uh, You know, it's a weird thing when they report on these things on the Internet, some of the things you're reading were things that were reported two days ago or three days ago, and, you know, what's on the Internet is not timely. Uh, I'm, you know, <laughs> fire is a very timely thing. Uh, yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, I drove. There were, there were two locations up country here that had scorched tree trunks.
4: Yeah, just watching it from here was really just so heavy. I know we watched a uh, a report from the head of FEMA. You know, I understand that the federal government got in there pretty fast, and the head of FEMA was saying that these fires, the conditions were so dry that it would literally travel the length of a football field in 20 seconds. And that's why it was so deadly. And I was just like, I can I can hardly fathom that. 20 seconds to, for these flames to travel the length of a football field.
5: We were like, having extreme yeah. wind before the fires were, uh, before, before the fires happened, we were already having extreme winds from anywhere from 65 to 80 miles an hour. So the fires somehow got started during that winter. Lahaina was a oh god Lahaina was the heart of, of was the heart of Maui for sure and maybe the heart of the whole Hawaiian island chain because the ali'i the Hawaiian royalty that's where they lived they, there was a there was a, a, a well, I wouldn't call it a castle exactly but there was a house of Three-story building that they had lived in, and uh, of course that's gone. Everything's gone. Oh God! And it's it's so dismaying to get on the internet and hear all these weird, you know, people's weird ideas about how this and that happens and.
6: It, they're all pretty
5: negative. It's it's really sad to see.
4: Well, we certainly open our hearts and join you in holding the space. You know, you've done enough of this work that uh, you're probably unusually capable of being the space that will assist in recovery in the transformation of the pain of the trauma and you know, being the space for to the sort of time. vacuum that energy off of the island.
5: Yeah. Well, that's one of the one of the first things I do is reach for a a worksheet. And uh, for the first time in all these years of you know, sheets for you
4: know, you're kind of cutting in and out. Are, are, is your phone up at, right up close to your mouth?
5: Uh, yeah. I, yeah. It's uh, um. Uh, I pulled out a worksheet and tried to do it and for the first time all these years I couldn't get through it so I just set it aside you know I mean you just have to take things as they are and do the best you can and keep on keeping on
4: that would certainly be the place to breathe
5: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so um, I guess I don't have too much to say my mind the nature of my mind has changed radically um, i I just turned eighty in July and uh it's it's really <laughs>
0: happy hurding <laughs> it's it,
5: thank you uh it, it but it's really interesting to watch myself age, especially my mind you know um because it's very different than it used to be. So, it's a little bit more difficult for me to talk. But the memories, I I lay in bed last night, and was trying to remember my life. <laughs> and I I really had to struggle to pull up a lot of the memories. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a strange 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 place to be in, but I'm here, and I feel really good today. I feel normal today for the first time in the week, and so I thought I'd give you all a call and let you know that I am okay, And, uh, and um, but we're going to be uh, challenging here for quite a while. on am excited to be able.
0: Well, well, we're
4: I, holding the space, and you—you you have been the subject of several conversations with different people. And we shared that we had called you one night and talked with you, and that you were okay. Yeah, and uh, I
5: tried, you know. Oh, and you were, weren't there. So, yeah. So I guess uh, strange things happening all over everywhere, but we're all okay. Well, those of the two are okay, and those who two are gone, gone, and they're okay too, I guess. And
4: they're probably just fine too. Yeah, right.
5: Yeah.
4: So I'll just throw a thought in there as you talk about being 80 and memories and such. And one of the things A Course in Miracles talks about is that memory being a part of perception is a skill we made up block the actuality of the creation and so for me personally when I really got that which was about a year ago maybe a little less than a year ago I started asking to have memory taken away and perception taken away and so perhaps it's not something to lament but something to celebrate because it's no longer in the way of the active presence of love giving you whatever information you need at any moment
5: in time. Well, that's what I witness. I witness being here now pretty much all the time. Just a complete presence. Sweet. I, just, yeah, I witness that all the time. Yep, there we go.
4: Awesome. Well, know that we're holding the space with you.
5: All right. Thank you, and, and God bless everyone and all of you who have been praying. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. Right. I'll just on behalf of you all. So thank you very much. And
4: Tony and Tony Tim too. <laughs>
5: yeah. Okay. Hello. All Hi. right. Well,
4: we're glad you called to share with us blessings.
5: Okay. All right. Please.
4: All Take care. Bye
1: bye. And our next. All right. is... Ms. Susan, 610, you're on the air. Good to hear from you. Hi. Hi Welcome. Guys. We
4: haven't heard your voice in a bit.
3: Well,
1: <laughs> uh,
6: I was amazed about the blog talk. I'm glad you're back on. I love seeing your pictures on Facebook, Jeannie. All the beautiful garden stuff you're doing. Amazing. Yeah. It's been um, fun.
4: It is fun. <laughs> I'm glad
6: you it looks like a lot of work.
4: It has been a lot of work, actually. This past weekend, I, I was talking to actually the gentleman that I just shared the story about when he was at Heartland. He's a contractor, and I was talking to him about we right. have a neighbor with a bunch mm-hmm. of compost that is that's being swept away against his will. And he said, "If you want it, come and get it, Michael." So I tried doing it by hand with our our garden cart, and it was just there's a huge hill. And this compost down at the bottom of the hill, and we're up at the top of the hill. It was just too much, and so when I talked to Terry, his contractor, he said, "Well, oh, you know, there's a thing called a concrete hauler." So I went out and rented oh. a concrete hauler where I could carry 21 uh, cubic feet of this material at a time effortlessly because it's motorized. And oh my goodness, Wonderful. they did save a lot of work,
1: Wonderful.
4: and uh, oh. it completed it completed our newest. A native species garden space with soil, um, where I thought it was going to take us another six months to do it by hand. So, so it was a blessing.
6: Isn't it great. That's. Um, I wanted to give a testimonial secondhand. The woman who borrowed and still has my avicen was on my support group with us today. She held up her hand and right. flexed it like a perfectly healthy young hand. She's 84. She said, I use this every day. Look at my hand. And she had very poor movement in her hand the last time she showed us, and she's got full full movement. And she was singing the praises of the Azephan. So I just wanted That's to awesome. report. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you.
4: Gotten- I believe yeah. – i I believe it is the most important adjunct to health that there is, you know for me, one of the what I see as the reason why there's so much trauma in the world, so much suffering, so much poverty, so much divorce, so much there's one single reason, and that's that people do not have forgiveness. they don't know how to change the contents of their own minds, so they live in the why is this happening to me again experience, and there's only one device that I've ever seen that performs what I would call physical forgiveness. And that's the Avacyn. So I'm with you 100%. It's amazing. It's just, it is just beyond miraculous. And, And it's the only medical, you know, the only certified medical treatment that I know of that people regularly say, like this woman saying, I love the side effects of my medical treatment. Right. Because all of the effects related to it are uplifting, they're healing, because there's nothing mm-hmm. toxic, there's nothing invasive about it. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing.
6: Yeah. Well, she cool. it was asking me if I want it back, uh, because I've had surgery on my wrist and my hand to try to get back to playing the piano. And... I'm doing my own personal physical therapy on it. And I, I've told you before that the lifestyle I lead and the amount of exercise I get, I wasn't able to notice how the, the Avicen was helping. So that's one reason I felt so free to lend it to her is I thought, well, there'll come a time when I'll need it, but she needs it right now. And I still feel that way unless, you know, maybe I need it now. <laughs> anyway, I, I, there's a lot of swelling, and the stitches came out yesterday, and um, uh, I, I'm just
4: Yes, you need to wondering. put your hand back in it. Okay. And, of All course, right. you don't have to put the injured hand in it to have the impact and the healing in the injured hand. You can use the other hand because the way that it works – is it's working by warming the blood and mm-hmm. through that circulatory system, because, of course, every cell is in contact with blood, every cell gets a treatment every time you use it. But that well, would be that my take, to, yes.
6: That leads to my my other question, though. I have not stopped exercising. I have not stopped teaching. So right. aren't I getting the benefits from all that for this hand, too? I mean, do I need it?
4: Absolutely.
6: Okay.
4: Well, it's more. here here would be here would be my thought is you remember in in the past we've talked about factors that we can't say yeah. this one thing changes everything. Oh,
0: but, I see. you know, yeah. if
4: you're at a level 5 I tell and you have a level 7 toxicity, if you make a a 0.2 change in your dietary regimen, you make a 0.5 change in your forgiveness regimen, you make a 0.7 change in your exercise. All of a sudden, you got that two-point gain, and whatever the I structure see. needs to heal, it's going to be able to heal. Yeah. Most people, you know, resist exercise. You you have a, a routine, and I really admire you for it. It's better than mine. I wish mine were a little better. And. and you're
6: the garden.
0: You're doing
4: your yeah thing. well yes the garden has, that's been a, that's been one of the blessings of the garden it's definitely work yeah. it's, it's definitely you know <laughs> two or three showers a day sometimes, but on well, the other hand, most people Aren't You can get the benefit by movement because what movement does, a sufficient amount of exercise does, is it warms the blood. And warmed blood opens capillary flow, delivers oxygen, delivers nutrition. It makes a major difference. That's why people who are sedentary tend to suffer from all kinds of diseases and die early. And, yeah. you know, not many people are going to sit down or lay down two or three or even four times a day or pardon me, not many are going to go out and exercise to the degree you have to exercise to get that heat effect happening where you can lay down comfortably two, three, and four times a day and have your hand in the abyssin and have the same effect happen. Now, there was a research project that... um, University of California in San Diego, and they were working with blood sugar, doing a a double-blind study on blood sugar. And what they found was that using the Avicen for 30 minutes, 30 minutes after eating a meal, had the impact of the equivalent of about a 60-minute brisk walk. Most people who need it aren't going to do a 60-minute brisk walk two, three, or four times a day. But you can do it just by laying down and putting your hand in the absinthe. So, you know, it's it's a wow. a passive uh, experience of getting that uh, additional boost.
6: And she said it breaks up blood clots too. Is that true?
4: Yes. Well, basically, you know, the the bottom line cause of disease in the system of medicine that I'm trained in is congestion. Mm. And one of the primary areas congestion occurs is in the blood. That's why a lot of people are on blood thinners. And mm-hmm. so, what happens is, blood is what they call a non-Newtonian liquid. And as a matter of fact, we're we're doing some teaching with with Aria, and uh, we're we're picking different concepts. And giving her examples of it and teaching it to her, so she, you know, in the last few weeks, she's gotten down the definition of double entendre. In fact, she loves to say it when oh. when we come up with a word. that's like, what is that, Ari? Oh, that's a double entendre. So we just started last week. We just started last week with analogies, and so I went and put a uh, a jar of molasses in the freezer. Molasses is a non Newtonian liquid. And, of course, when you put it in the freezer, it doesn't move much when you take it out. And then I took it, and I ran it under cool water. It was in a glass jar, and then I ran it under warm water and got it hot. And, and it's like, see what happens? See how, that, that, how you know free-flowing it is? So now what's the, what are we trying? What are we developing this analogy for, you? And I went up and said, put your hand in the Avicen. What do you feel? Heat. What's the heat doing? It's warming your blood. What happens when you warm the blood? Well, it's a non-Newtonian liquid like molasses. It gets thinner. It flows more easily it means the whole system works better. So we just did the analogy uh, idea with yeah. her and used that one as an analogy, and that's exactly what happens, is that the warmed blood thins as any non-Newtonian liquid does, which means it gets into tighter spaces and it flows more easily, which also means the tendency is the heart doesn't have to pump as hard because it doesn't need the same amount of pressure to get it moving, and then once it clears out the congestion, then even less pressure is needed because that which was restricting the flow has now cleaned out of the arteries, out of the veins, out of the capillaries, which can be as small as 1 100th the thickness of a hair. Well,
6: that would mean that your blood pressure might go down too then.
4: Yes, yes. Many people experience a drop in blood pressure when they use it
6: that's interesting okay well that's good
4: and swelling (laughs) yeah swelling and inflammation are an important part of the healing process but many people you know they injure themselves and so the inflammation starts where the injury occurs which is perfect that's what's needed that's what calls in uh, cleansing materials rebuilding materials and changes the chemistry at the site of an injury and allows healing to happen. But if people don't have sufficient circulation, microcirculation, what happens is when the inflammation's done its job, there's, there's congestion and it can't move out. So the inflammation remains, and now the inflammation becomes the source of disease. And one wow. of the first things that the Avison does is it starts to move those fluids so that inflammation is removed. So swelling goes down faster, injuries... Uh, heal so, much more quickly.
6: So, would it be okay to stick the the um, fixed hand in the
4: point exactly? You can. I mean, you don't need to put your injured hand in the Avicen to have the injured hand be treated by putting your hand in the other the other hand in the Avicen. I
6: understand because it, what
4: it does. In... Say again.
6: Would it hurt, would it hurt my injured hand to put it in?
4: Well, remember that there is a vacuum that forms, so there's some pressure on the hand. Only you could determine that. You know, if you put your hand in it. it, remember there's a, a pause button. So if you try it, because the more local heat that's applied, the faster the healing will tend to occur. But try it, and if you find that, oh, there's there's even the least bit of trauma, just push the pause button, take your hand out, and do it with the other hand
0: Oh, okay. There's actually kind of
4: a neat, uh, a neat video on the Internet. Uh, you remember the mood rings where the mood ring, you put it on your yeah. finger, and when it warms up, it changes color? Well, there's a guy right. that, that did a video where he put a mood ring on the non-treatment hand, and he put his hand in the Avicen, And within about three, three or four minutes, the ring was changing color in the non-treatment hand, the opposite side of the body.
6: Wow, that's cool. All right, well, you've motivated me. I'll give her a call. She said she could get it over to me as soon as I asked for it, and I have not wanted to, and I don't want to slow down her. She really loves it. <laughs> so we'll trade right. back and forth. I Share doesn't it. live very near.
4: <laughs> yeah.
6: So my other question has I do have
0: some...
4: Just one other thought on that, and I don't know what her financial situation is, but I do have a brand new used machine when I say brand new, someone that I know bought it and only used it for about two hours, and their lives got busy and they were doing a number of other things, so they just never got back to it and so if if she's interested in buying a you know i think on the meter it's about maybe four hours in total that it's been used. It's like a new machine that if she wants I'll you know give her a good price on it.
6: That's awfully nice of you. Um, do you have an idea how much it would be? Because she's very limited in how much she
4: can afford.
6: You no. don't want to give yourself.
4: Well, that's good yeah. Well, the machine normally sells for twenty nine ninety five, dollars 95 and uh, I could sell it for 19 Well, that's very generous.
6: Well, I'll keep that in mind. I'll talk to her about it, and I'll get back to you. Cool. You, you, awesome. you said something very interesting just now on the radio show about memories and telling Roma that it's okay to not remember. And I, I brought this up months and months ago about the fact that I have boxes and boxes full of journals with artwork and all kinds of journals from all of my life starting in college. I burned the ones before that in a moment of self-hatred and so forth. But I have all these, and Tim and I are thinning out our um, belongings and so forth, and I have been reluctant to get rid of them. But I love the idea. At least I I like the, the artwork and might like to keep that. But even that, who needs it? You know, they're all kinds of drawings and doodles and things um, and paintings and everything, all in these art books and notebooks. But I'd love to have permission to forget my life. I keep thinking I ought to read so much. I've done so much, and we've been through so much. And I think, I don't want to read them now. Will I ever want to read them? And will anybody else want to read them? Certainly, most likely not. So, anyway, this is
4: food for thought. Well, you know, one of the things that I share with people when they start doing worksheets is that they should get a three-ring punch and put them in a binder and keep them and revisit them on a regular basis because a piece of work that somebody does today, a year from now, will be a whole different piece of work. Exactly the same worksheet will um, uh, create a, a different level of healing in the same worksheet five years from now. So being able to review it and... I would think if there were, a particularly if there were any dark periods of your life, it might be useful to go through those things and just see if there's anything left to be resonated and cleaned out okay. so that you're lifting the load from within.
6: Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting thought. Um, a week ago or so, Dr. Tim, I asked Dr. Tim whether there are issues that you never really get past. And he said in his training, they were told that there will be, you'll find your core issue, one or two, and these will be with you right up to the grave, and you will work on them. You will free yourself from many aspects, but basically they stay with you. And I was thinking, well, what's my core thing? And I found out, I think I found out what it was, and these past three weeks have been really hard and good because I came right nose-to-nose with them. Awesome. And all the shame and the embarrassment and the self-beating up, the whole picture has been out there. And I really think I don't need to go into those journals to find that because that's been underneath every trigger, every event. Everything in
4: your life, yep.
6: Everything boils down to something. Yeah, I bet you do. You were saying you've learned more. I feel as if I've learned so much and I'm too, I'm walking around feeling freer and more loving and more centered and loving my life and also just plain hurting hurt. as, yep. as I work my way through this and I'm not out yet. But it almost Well that's as if the
4: self I, that Yeshua I, said has to die.
6: Well, and, and I would agree. It was, yeah. Say it yeah. again. What? Oh, that's okay. Go I would ahead. agree
4: with psychology's misaligned perception that those things go to you with the grave. They go to you yeah. with the grave if you don't have forgiveness. Without the ability to go into the depths of the unconscious, access the core energies of hurt and trauma, which are, in many cases, generations and generations and generations ago. If I can't access those, of course, they go to the grave with me. And well, I personally, having spent over a half a century looking at everything I could find uh, from, you know, the medical, the scientific, the, the psychi- psychiatric, the theological, and there's not one place. That I can point to, tool of forgiveness, is functional, usable, or understood.
6: Wait a minute, and you lost there's me. There's no place
4: aside from, aside from Yeshua in the first century, and 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 coming to oh, yeah. an understanding of what it meant. From there, it doesn't exist anywhere on mm-hmm. the planet that I know of. So I can understand why, you know, most professions would say, "Yeah, well, it goes to the grave with you," but I don't believe that's accurate.
0: Whoa
6: well I would say it's accurate only because I haven't reached the end of it
4: but what you
6: say you're in in process like us all yeah
4: and to me the deeper and deeper you do your work the farther and farther from the grave you get as well until (laughs) you eradicate the grave
0: Mm.
4: once again what are we working through the realities of the minds of men, of course, men and women. Mm -hmm. And if you look back where they understood how this all came together and what the solution was, they said, with man, and again, generically, we could say men and women, with man, death began. Yeah. We were never created to die. We introduced... An energetic pattern that may be continued existence of this integrated energy field that is so magnificent, we put into it energy patterns that cause it to dissolve, to decay, and to pass away. And that's a habit of mind in the minds of men. Mm-hmm. And... If if those ancient teachings are correct, and I believe they're, you know, from a physics point of view, where I'm looking from, from a physician's point of view, where I'm looking from, it's absolutely true. We made the process up, and we can give the process up. Now, you know, you start looking at the number of people in just 30 generations in your bloodline, and that's 1.6 billion you know and and every year after that it doubles 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 so it's a pretty there's mm-hmm. a pretty large number in there yeah these patterns are so deeply embedded it's going to take time it's a process but ultimately and to me you know one of the requests i realized was important for me to make and i can't even say when i first had this realization was i'm willing to look at Experience, feel fully, and process through every energetic pattern that has ever killed anybody anywhere in my bloodline. Mm. I'm willing to process that, uh, uh, process through that, and dissolve and get rid of it. You know, I mean, you know, what killed the ancestor that was with, uh, you know, Bonaparte's? Uh, French army marching into Russia and having over two hundred and twenty five thousand men killed on horseback freezing to death and starving and being killed in war. you know what What do I need to process what What was the energy that if I happened to have an ancestor that was in that bloodline what 's the energy that I need to process of that man who you know at the tenth month in that campaign? in 30 below temperatures, fell off his horse dead, what do I need hmm. to access in me that's and is still in the energetic pattern of my genes and remove from my tissue structure? And how many ancestors between that day and today have been impacted by that energy? And am I willing to embrace that? Am I willing to access that? You know, I talked about going to movies. It's a way to short circuit. To sit, am I? Quote, unquote, am I disturbed by a violent movie? No, you can't be disturbed by a violent movie. You can't be disturbed by anything. But if there's a disturbance in me, can that movie bring it up? Yes. Well, thank you for bringing it up. Now I don't have to go into the real world and set a relationship up for that to come up. I can do it by just sitting here and letting that experience, getting into that film, and letting that experience resonate that in me and remember to breathe apply forgiveness to recognize I have goals for what happened in that, you know, I know one of the series that we watched in, in the last year or so was a series on Netflix called Versailles. Mm-hmm. And the backbiting and the terrorism between people and neighbors, it was just horrendous. A lot of goals yeah. to cancel in watching that uh, series of Versailles.
6: Michael, it's too late for me to ask this question on this show, but why do animals die then? Because they are innocent. They don't have that stuff.
4: Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that they've observed is that animals who are domesticated in the wild have very few diseases, but in the home of their human owner, they have and die from the same diseases as their owners do, only years before, because the animal can't resist the energetic pattern of the owner. Well, doesn't I have can, the intellectual capacity to refuse it. Right. So, but
6: still they do if, die. If in you if you read
4: world. right, but if you read back in history into indigenous cultures and such, there there are reports. That what was observed was not that the animals died, but there'd be an animal in the forest and the animal would just evaporate, would just disappear. Wow. My take on that would be that the animal would just energetically transition to the next level of existence and... Is it we who have the capacity to bring in something new? We're the only creature we know of that can bring in a new energy. And if we bring in a new energy of death and every other creature that's exposed to that energy has no resistant ability to remove it and no capacity to forgive it, then they're going to give expression to it. If we collectively and individually remove those toxic energies from the planet, then my offering would be the animals will be freed as well.
6: Wow. Okay. Thank you for
2: <laughs> fielding that. That would be my
4: take. Yeah.
2: Uh,
4: That's my take. And they're going to cut us off in just a second or two. They just okay. yelled in my ear that we have well, 10 seconds. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for all, right. all that. Yeah. Appreciate you. Have a blessed one. Thanks, you too. Everybody, you too, thanks for joining us. Yay, thank you. And Roma, once again, we join you in uh, bringing healing to the trauma that's unfolded in Maui and uh, join you in holding the space. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Blessings. Bye-bye.